in the very immature, thinly traded asset like Bitcoin, it takes just a few guys with all the ammo in the world just to move it anywhere they want and to take out the most traders. So it's a lethal combination. Hello there from Bedford. How are you all? Welcome to the era of the 6.25 BTC block reward. Bitcoin has had its third halving. Did you grab a beer and watch it? I joined Tone Vey's incredible live stream with thousands of others. So a big thanks to Tone for inviting me and putting on a very, very cool event. F2 Paul mined the last block of the 12.5 Bitcoin period and they left a nice little message. New York Times, 9th of April 2020, with $2.3 trillion injection, Fed's plan far exceeds 2008 rescue, which was a very cool tip of the hat to Satoshi's message in the Genesis block. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Willy Wu on whether trading is detrimental to the price of Bitcoin. But before that, I have a message from my show sponsors. First up, we have Crypto Mining Tools, and with the halving now done, I want to welcome back Scott Offer to the show. We know that the halving can have a big impact on mining profitability and Scott from Crypto Mining Tools has a solution for Bitcoin mining equipment owners looking to get a little bit more out of their miners. I've told you about Scott's Bitcoin mining calculator in the past Well, Scott has recently launched a Bitcoin mining hosting directory. If you need to move your Bitcoin miners to a more cost-effective location due to the halving, go to cryptomining.tools to research hosting options available in your country or around the world. Scott is also looking to add more hosting and co-location providers to his hosting directory. So if you own a mining farm and have extra space that you would like to get filled, reach out to Scott's hosting partnership development guy, Shannon Squires. He is on Telegram at Squires, S-Q-U-I-R-E-S, or use the contact form at cryptomining.tools. Also, have you checked out sportsbet.io yet? The best place for online gambling and they accept Bitcoin. Yeah, I love anyone who accepts Bitcoin. I cannot wait for the football to get going again. We've seen some parts of the world that sports is coming back. Very exciting. I actually also watched my first esports event this weekend. I watched a motor racing event. Very interesting. Had a mix of motor racing people and uh, I think Sergio Aguero was on there as well. So it's kind of cool, kind of interesting, interesting to watch. Now, Due to the break in most sports with coronavirus, there has been a massive growth in esports. And sportsbet.io now supports 11 markets, including eFIFA, eNBA, and eNHL. They also have their Bitcoin casino and my favorite, the poker rooms. So you definitely want to check that out. Head over to sportsbet.io, which is S P O R T S B E T.io. Also, I have another new sponsor this month. It's Least Authority, it's one for you techies out there the builders who are creating the applications. Least Authority is a security consulting company pushing the limits on how to build privacy-respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design, while also making regular contributions to the open source and decentralized space. They can help you improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer two protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and much, much more. If you would like to boost your security strategy, well, you can arrange a no-obligation call to find out how Least Authority can help your next project. Just head over to their website and hit schedule a call. That is leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. 
Okay, so onto the show today, and I have Bitcoin trader and on-chain analyst Willie Wu finally on the show. I met him out in Vegas, and we said for a while he needs to come on. Now, it has been quite some time since I've had a trader on what Bitcoin did, partly because I always tend to recommend people stay away from trading. It is a very easy way to lose your Bitcoin, especially for newcomers who don't know what they're doing. Bitcoin moves fast in both directions, and if you are caught in the wrong side of a trade, you can easily see your account balance wiped out especially if you're using leverage. But Willie recently put out a very interesting tweet claiming that after the halving, miners would no longer be applying the most sell pressure to the markets and it would be the exchanges. Now, not everyone agrees with him, but I had some questions, so I asked him to come on. Now, every time you buy or sell on an exchange, there is a small fee that you have to pay. And this fee is for facilitating the trade and how the exchanges make money. Now, not all of them convert to fiat, but most of them convert back to fiat to run their business. And with the growing popularity of high leverage futures exchanges offering degen traders up to 100x, these fees are adding to the sell pressure. And Willie thinks this is affecting the market. So this is super interesting. Glad to get Willie on. If you've got any thoughts about this, you want to speak to me. If you want to challenge what Willie has to say, you can reach out to me. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, have a great week and I will catch up with you soon. Evening, Willie. How are you? Hey, Peter. Really good. It's uh, nice over here in New Zealand at night. A few days from the happening. I've never got over to that part of the world. I want to. I really want to. I've got to do it at some point. Listen, look, I, I, I've been meaning to get a trader on the show for a while, but I haven't for a couple of reasons. I've got my own PTSD from <laughs> thinking I was a trader in 2017, making and then losing a lot of money. But also, like, my show's for beginners, and I kind of want to kind of think trading is an advanced skill. And I've put it off for a while, but I think actually today will be a good to do a, like a, a bit of a trading 101 for we're going to have new people coming into the market. They're going to be tempted to go out there and start trading. So at least let's arm them with a little bit of knowledge. So listen, before we do that, though, what the hell happened with the dump last night, man? I thought we're heading to the halving. We're, we're like in and out of 10K. Perhaps we'll get to 12K by halving and then boom, we crash. What, what's going on there? Oh, gosh, you know, um, since since the last few months, really, I've, I haven't really looked very closely at the markets. Um, when I say closely, I mean um, short time cycles. When you're trading, you know, people can trade long time cycles. You know, you put money in, you sit on it, maybe you sit on it for uh, a year, maybe you sit on it for 10 years. That's a very slow kind of trade, which you might call an investment but most people sell out, so therefore it is a trade. Um, and then we can go right down into these kind of um, time cycles that DGN Bitcoin traders trade, and we're even down to the, you know, three-minute or five-minute candle. And so I'm not really looking at the short term right now. I used to, um, but that is a thing that you look at minute by minute, hour by hour, and um, one thing I will say about what the market is right now is that Bitcoin's a very um, easy to manipulate market. So if you have, say, I think the figure would be around 30 to $50 million, and you can put that on a futures or you know, a derivatives exchange with, as collateral, you can go, you know, on BitMEX, you can go up to 100x, but um, realistically, you can go up to 10x. So suddenly, with $50 million, you're wielding half a billion dollars of leverage power. And of course, you can start to push the price around with that. You know, if 
buyers are buying and you've got half a billion dollars of sell power, you can just put a top on it. And so what happens in the Bitcoin market now is that there's, you know, a, probably a crowd of about 12 um, entities there with enough capability, ammo, I call it ammo, <laughs> just how much buy and sell power you have to just start to um, squeeze people out of their positions. So if um, you were to look at the very short term price of Bitcoin, it is this just random walk of price and it it randomly walks in the direction in which it's going to take out the most traders. If everyone's going long, the price is going to go short because those guys will be liquidated and there's a payday for those guys that are pushing the price down. So trading in the very short term is a very strategic game between traders and whoever's got the most ammo will win. It is like a gridiron match. Whoever's got the strongest linebackers push that ball around, you get an advantage. So um, I can guarantee you what happened with that crash is exactly the same um, strategic movement. And when you're trading short term, you're looking at all the signs of what the market is doing, the little guys, and looking for clues what the big guys are about to do. Right. Okay. I, that kind of makes sense. And But can they actually impact the long-term trend or is the long-term trend protected against this is this this is this is about those who are leveraged who you can stop out like you can't stop me out because i just buy and i hold right and i keep my bitcoin off uh, I, I keep it on a hardware wallet so nobody can nobody can stop me out of a trade because i just buy and hold is this all based on who is in leveraged positions who've got some kind of uh like margin call or 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 some kind of a stop yeah okay so that's a that's, that's a real good question um you know, like I like to talk about like Bitcoin in terms of um, the fundamentals. I mean, that's my field. I look at the fundamentals. And so, you know, if you've got a long term um, trend of more people in the world liking Bitcoin as an asset to hold, then you've got a long term incoming demand. And, um, you know, my field is looking on the blockchain to, to gauge that because you can pick. Um, you know, when obviously when you buy Bitcoin, you buy it and you put it into your wallet. So that 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 is, you see that on the blockchain as a transaction that's moving into a wallet, and you can gauge an idea of the the demand, right? So there's a sort of adoption curve of Bitcoin as the world wakes up to it, and you know it follows typically with new technology an S curve, and so. This is sort of this organic uh, dynamic that's happening between long-term investors coming in and then the sell side, the organic supply side, is coming from miners introducing new new coins that are being minted into the supply. So the interaction between people coming in to hold as an asset class and the supply side from miners gives us an organic price. And then inside this, You've got all of us gamblers who, who are traders thinking they can make a buck. And so, um, and, you know, this is the game we were talking about earlier. And so you can kind of see there's like this price, um, an organic price chart, and then on, superimposed on top of that organic price chart is this sort of apeshit wild strategic game that's being played, and it's seesaws and zigzags. And so in the short term, yes, definitely. It has huge impact on the price. 
But long term, if you filter out those zigzags, less so, um, but not absolutely not so. There will be an impact from that trading, which was, you know, essentially what I tweeted was it yesterday, which is that all of this trading activity that's happening generates um, trading fees. You know, there's we've got a number of futures exchanges all generating a billion dollars of volume per day. So I haven't checked the, the the latest figures, but I think we're talking in the ten billion plus amount of volume being traded on these short-term leverage accounts um, exchanges, and they will generate a lot of fees. And so those fees are just a tax on the traders. Um, the exchange earns those fees, and then what do they do? They sell it on the market. Um, they sell it for USD fiat money. So now you've got this other supply side that's being generated unlike the miners who are burning electricity creating new supply diluting people and then selling it into the into the markets you've got also the exchanges which are tax agents of the trading activity um, taking that as revenue and then selling bitcoins back on the market as another sell side pressure so what you end up seeing is that Although this zigzag is from trader games, you get this fundamental um, aspect that's being produced from this activity, and that's an additional sell pressure. There's mining sell pressure, and now there's exchange sell pressure from that activity, and that is a fundamental impact, and that will affect the returns you get as a hodler long term. All right, well, let's dig into that. So you you've talked about so I was talking to Luke Martin about this the other day because people were talking about the sell pressure from miners and I was like well I think there's sell pressure from elsewhere so there is sell pressure from miners there's sell pressure from the exchanges I guess that I guess there is even sell pressure from like tr- traders and businesses who at some point need a bit of fiat right so even you as a trader you're gonna have to sell out some of your Bitcoin if you're trading Bitcoin, just have your money to live on every month. So I guess there's sell pressure for from a number of different places, but the primary sell pressure you're saying is from the exchanges and the miners. Oh, this, is, this is key. This is really key, and it's very subtle, right? Like if I'm selling some of my profits to, to money, to you know USD to live on, you would think that sell pressure, but if you were to really dissect this and just take it down to the fundamental, okay, Say I need $1,000 to to spend for the the next week to pay rent. Okay, I'll sell $1,000 of Bitcoin. But I'm selling it to someone who's buying it. So whenever you say I'm selling something, it's not true. It's an absolute myth. It's what view are you taking? If you take the systemic view from outside of the, the, I'm not Willy Woo and I'm not, the, the buyer, if I'm looking at the market, I'm going, oh, there's buyer and Willy Woo. Um, Willy Woo selling and the buyer's buying. So that's matched. So um, it's a very neutral, it's a very neutral impact there. Um, so how's that different for the exchanges? If, well, if the exchange is, is like, um, you know, Peter's going long, Willie's going short. I don't care which way the price goes. I know that between the two executing that trade, they take a fee, you know, whether it's like 0.025%, point whatever, but they do take that fee. 
and they take it out of your pocket and they take it out of my pocket, right? And then they're going to sell that onto the market, right? So you you get this, you know, you've all heard of the, the guy that got liquidated out of Bitcoin um, and, you know, someone else took that trade, but then this guy then goes away and is never going to look at Bitcoin again. Um, the The winner of that trade is really happy. But then there's the untold story of BitMEX going, I took um, a fee out of that. And then that fee is then sold onto the open markets. That's that's a very that's a very that, that's very similar to mining where um, there's a suddenly there's a tax on the system and then the buyers have to absorb that tax is then taken out of the system and then sold back into the system. And a new buyer has to come in to take that up. There's a hidden right, okay, tax from okay. inflation. There's a hidden tax from um, the the fees from the exchanges. And right, okay, so the the market has to absorb that. Yeah, it's it's a non-neutral setup there. And as of this halvening, that it becomes the most predominant impact to the supply side of Bitcoin. Okay, so so. This halving will see the new supply, new coin issuance halve to 900 Bitcoin a day. And you estimate there's a 1,200, is it 1,200 a day Bitcoin from the exchanges being sold off? Yeah, that's the figure I got from a leading OTC desk. Um, the, and obviously, they're the ones involved in <laughs> working with the exchanges to turn it into fiat. So um, that's the their estimate. And... So maybe some of the exchanges are hodling and uh, they, they believe in it. I think CZ tweeted that they only sell off enough to pay expenses and they're in for the long game and they're holding a lot of Bitcoins. So that's good news, but that means that they could actually dump more if they were not believers in Bitcoin. Um, what Krak- I think about- Kraken does that as well. Kraken pays some of their staff in Bitcoin. Ah, uh, yeah. That, that, that's, that's, that's really good to see. Actually, if, you, if you're playing your staff in Bitcoin... You're not selling to fear. Hmm. That's a true believer um, in Bitcoin. Um, so it's good to see companies but, like that. Bit, BitMEX, no. That Arthur Hayes has been on record to say, we sell everything to fear. And, you know, BitMEX is the 800-pound gorilla in the space. They produce the most volume by far. Right. Well, we'll come back to BitMEX because I've got so many questions about those. Okay, so, so you've identified after the halving, the exchanges will have the majority of the sell pressure. But what does it actually mean? It's not actually changing anything. It's not increasing the overall sell pressure, right? It's just they will have a higher percentage of it. Yeah. Okay. So, like, you can think of you can think of this um, this tax on the trading activity as like um, mining, like. In terms of, um, it doesn't impact the supply. You know, we're always going to have 21 million Bitcoins. Um, But the effect of um, the price of Bitcoin is very, very strong. If you were to think of um, what happens at a halvening, the halvening means that the sell pressure halves. Instead of 1,800 Bitcoins, per day that are being on average going to be sold onto the market. Now it'll go to 900. Obviously there's like half the amount of coins being sold for the same amount of demand. The price is going to rise. Now you've got this mining industry that is selling 
1200 bitcoins per day which no one's that i've seen publicly talk about this and this 1200 bitcoin per day is this hidden thing that has been rising um since the advent of um highly leveraged futures um trading accounts like bitmex which really they, their volume only started in 2017 so if you look at the halvening in 2016 the um the volumes from what exchanges we had there were spot exchanges people actually buying bitcoin to hold you know when i buy bitcoin to hold i buy the bitcoin and then i might not buy again for another month or two or another four years um when i'm in a leverage trading situation i will buy one minute i will sell the next minute like i was saying in that tweet if you had like half a million dollars in a trading account you can generate 400 million dollars of volume if you're trading short cycles if that was a spot trade then what like back in 2016 the kind of trades we did then half a million dollars or half a million dollars of asset i was going to buy to hold long term now that's turned into 400 million dollars of volume and can you imagine the the fees increase on that is exponentially higher so while we're having a halvening of um sell pressure from from the mining reducing we're having a hockey stick that's being produced by um the new derivative exchanges and so we it, it, it's it's creating a, a a very untalked about sell pressure and you can actually see it on the chart since um the 2017 time phase that we're very very sideways now right okay because i was going to say to you surely this has always been the case there's always been a sell pressure from exchanges yeah see that's that's the thing is the quantity is yeah okay so 2016 there was a sell pressure sure we had kraken we should we had like who were who, who were those exchange we had coinbase i don't think gemini was really big back then but we had a handful we had bitstamp you know people mm -hmm. buying we had like let's call it one x in volume now in 2018 2019 2020 um that's not one x now um i i need to pull the numbers up but i wouldn't be surprised if it's now a 10x in volume like there are incredible amounts of volumes being generated on futures exchanges and um so we're getting a halvening of from mining and we're getting a order of magnitude a 10x from um these futures exchanges so we're moving into an area where the sale pressure is cut generated from this trading activity right okay so i mean it's something you can be you have to be aware of i'm not sure it's anything you can do about but can you talk to me about these futures exchanges then because just bear in mind i'm, I'm not a i'm not a trader I, I i very early on bought and sold spot and made and lost a bit of money but realized like this is a full-time job and you have to really know what you're doing if not you can get burned so i just i just don't do it anymore and i don't advise people to especially if you know i say just look mm. just buy your bitcoin and hold long i mean my personal thesis is I'll have a I'll have a consideration in a decade whether I'll sell. So that's my own personal kind of thesis. But in in terms of understanding what futures are and how they work and the nuances, can you talk me through it and, and like explain it like I'm a beginner? You know, futures is really just bets. You know, um, the original futures is like the farmer's gonna like 
they're going to plant a crop and you need to know that you need some sort of certainty in the market and so i'd like to be able to sell my crop when i plant this this the seeds for this price and then i can know a profit so the futures exchanges are designed for that purpose is that um that's that farmer wants to sell their crop in the future and then there's going to be another um kind of risk taker a trader that comes in to buy that risk sure i'll buy i'll i'll, I'll buy that crop off you in the future and then the certainty given to the seller and so that that was how they they originally uh, were created it's allowing this sort of hedge is to protect the, the farmer and then the other person buying the risk and essentially that's what you get in an insurance market right um you don't want your house to burn down you want to pay a little bit of a premium to say if this thing happens then i need a payout and obviously um someone's going to buy that risk and it's a very low risk but um that creates the this market where people can sell off risk and then what once you what happens is when you have this market where buying and selling of risk is created it's you know the pure traders come in and say i'm betting on this going up or down um and they're not actually producing the underlying asset they they just want to make a bet and so this is the majority of the volume in the futures market is that if the price is going down i'm making a, if i think the price is going down i'm going to make a bet on it going down and someone else can make another bet on it going up so ultimately um the majority of the volume on these these futures exchanges are a bunch of traders making bets um around the future and and so you get into the situation where you can like you can sell more than 21 million bitcoins theoretically on a futures exchange because it's just a bet um and so this sort of uh you know we call this derivatives you know there's no underlying you're not actually buying and selling bitcoin you're selling a bit around bitcoin and so the volumes are a lot higher the leverage that you can do is a lot higher being offered by these products i, th I think it's a real financialization of of bitcoin um i don't think it's healthy for the long-term growth of bitcoin i think that bitcoin's far too early for for these kinds of products um i think that so let me understand how they work if i, if I want to make a bet i just deposit my bitcoin go and make my bet and then i'm i'm settled in bitcoin but but it's there's no actual relation to the underlying asset it is just it just is, is just a bet yeah there's so no bitcoin generated it, from it there's that's right right so you you might say i'll send one bitcoin to bitmax and so now that's sitting in you know like, let's let's go to the simple case of where you're going to something like um kraken i'm going to send one bitcoin to kraken and i'm going to sell it so i'll sell that bitcoin and i'll get us dollars for it um, but in the case of a a trading account a collateral trading account like i would put one bitcoin to bitmax and that sits in my account as collateral and then when I sell one Bitcoin, I'm not actually selling the Bitcoin that I put in my collateral account. That's just sitting there as collateral. And what you're doing is making a bet that's going to go down. If it does go down, you make some profit. If it goes up, you lose, right? And as the amount that you lose, get deducted off your collateral. 
um, until it goes to zero and then you're out of the game. And so that's how it works. Um, you're not actually selling the underlying asset. You're making bets and your collateral gets gets hit from um, whether you're winning or losing. Right. Okay. So the problem yeah. the problem here is is also therefore the uh, an increase in leverage because if there's an increase in leverage, there's an increase in fees as well, and it's the accumulation of fees which need to be sold back into the market by the exchanges. That's where you're seeing the problem. So this is creating the additional sell pressure. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Back in the Kraken day, right? I'll sell one Bitcoin. Okay. Suddenly now I'm getting greedy. I can sell a hundred Bitcoins for my one Bitcoin of collateral. And then suddenly I've generated that scale more fees for the exchange. Would I be right in thinking this becomes a bigger problem in a bearish market because the market's falling anyway? So there's additional sell pressure when when we're bearish already, whereas in a bull market, it hides it a little bit more? Well, you know, well, if the BitMEX policy is to be neutral about it and not hold Bitcoins, um, that they always want to sell off to um, US dollars to pay their staff and go into the founder's fund or whatever, then whether the price goes up or down, there's always this constant sell pressure. So if we're in a bull market, sure, um, the price is going up, but they're selling into it. They're going to be the ones. They're going to be the ones that are going to be um, providing new supply, which you know buyers will probably want. Um, in a bear market, they're still going to be the guys dumping new supply down that, that into the into the into the market. Why does everyone love BitMEX, man? Tell me the thing. I've always resisted, even in my early days when I did have a little trade, I always resisted signing up for BitMEX. Why do people love it so much? Uh, I think it's just the liquidity. Um, they're facing strong competition now. Uh, I, I, I'm with you. I was like, why does it, do people love it so much? I mean, if you're trading very, very large volumes, say you're trading, my guess is around... I think you start to need to use BitMEX when you're trading um, position sizes of 5 million, maybe 10 million or more, then BitMEX is your only real option. At those position sizes, you may want to diversify across exchanges, but most of the other um, futures exchanges, to some degree, they source their um, liquidity from BitMEX. You know? Essentially, if you're on another exchange, they'll arbitrage across and dip into the the BitMEX liquidity pool and pull some of that liquidity out to be present the trade to you on this other exchange. So most of the large traders will go to BitMEX because that's where the source of the liquidity is. Right. And so yeah, but BitMEX is a BitMEX has issues around its auto matching engine. It tends to lock up when the price starts to run, and that's wrecked many people. Yeah. So um, I want to ask about that because it's it's a bit similar to the Coinbase thing. Whenever there's a market crash, suddenly you can't log into Coinbase. There seems to be a thing where like exchanges seem to have issues when the market moves quickly, but they've had years to prepare for this, like technically. So like, am I right to be mildly suspicious that there is a, they have a personal interest in, in locking up? I'm with you, right? I'm with you. I, I, I think that there's absolutely no excuse for BitMEX to have a crappy auto matching engine. You know, I hear Arthur Hayes talk about the complexity of that auto matching engine. You know, like, and why it slows down. And on face value, you go, well, yeah, okay, it's very complex and, and so forth. But, um, like, 
you know, I've never been involved in that deep engineering side of things, um, but I I do know the founder of Level Exchange, and um, you know, before coming in to build that exchange, he he worked on um, sort of like I think vis- like vision, visual graphics processing, and he said, look, the stuff, the, the volume of data you have to to sort of calculate over is minuscule on these exchanges. And he said, I asked him the question, what happens when um, the volume on this exchange, his exchange, starts to ramp up? And he says, I am relishing the day where I can cut silicon because it's a sequential process. You know, most processes you can throw more workers on it and like run it in parallel, but auto matching is sequential. And what you do is you you put it onto silicon. You know, you you cut it like we put Bitcoin mining onto silicon. It's no longer running in software. It's running on ASIC hardware. So the thing to note here is this is BitMEX who make billions of dollars in profit and they have not cut silicon. And they, they have this excuse that it's a very complex calculation. We do complex calculations all the time on silicon. But what's the benefit? Like so, what, for somebody who doesn't understand it, what's the benefit to them having their order matching engine break down during fast moves in the market? Because they are also missing out on people trading. I don't think people jump off it. Um, I don't know if they, I think they use the liquidity to attract it. They, they liquidate. Um, it's a real good question. Like, like, you know, is it like people can't get in and change their positions? You just can't log in and, and react. I, I just, don't know you know like i tend to jump to nefarious causes around this because i don't understand why you wouldn't why wouldn't you make this thing work for traders because then if you're neutral to it you're every you're you're making your money off the fees why why would you why would you care you just want this this exchange to work well so that you don't undermine the trust of your traders so I don't know, and I've not seen Bitnex give a um, a statement that I that I can believe anyway around this. Oh, but are they neutral? Because don't the exchanges themselves trade against their own customers? Well, that's the billion dollar question, you know. Like it seems to me that it's the perfect setup to trade against your uh, your 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 customers if you're in an unregulated. You know the order book. Yeah, you know the order book, and it's very different from the era. I don't know if the listeners here remember um, the Mt. Gox era where one-eighth of all Bitcoins were stolen, effectively. Um, and, you know, we had this thing called uh, Willybot back in that era. Um, I didn't create it. <laughs> but, like, um, <laughs> you know, it was like every 10 minutes there was this algorithm called Willybot that would buy $50,000 of Bitcoin. You know, and remember, Bitcoin was worth, you know, near the near the start of that, two hundred dollars um, or even less, and that ran up to twelve hundred. So a very small market cap, fifty thousand dollars was a lot. And um, what that meant was, like, if Mount Gox had this engine to push the price up, they were buying Bitcoins with fake money. They didn't have the US dollars to back it. And so you get into this bit where, a bit like banks, they don't have the asset to back back the money if you want to withdraw it you can do a run on the bank because they don't have all of the the money and um but in a futures exchange you don't have to have the money 
all you're doing is facilitating bets going long or short. This guy's thinking the price goes up. This guy thinks the price goes down. They make a bet. If you're the exchange, it's perfect. You can go, oh, everyone's going long. Well, let me throw an algorithm here that keeps selling. It keeps selling and making you know, the opposite side of the bet to push it down. And you're always backed because it's not the same setup. So it, it strikes me in an unregulated environment, it's the perfect environment to trade against your customers. And um, we're in the era of unregulated futures exchanges. Yeah, because I would look at like last night and say, and in my little simple world, I'd say, okay, we've got a halving coming. Everything's looking quite bullish. It looks like we're going like in the next few days, Okay, like everyone talks about the halving as a very bullish event itself. I mean, I'm, I'm still not convinced. I think it's a, it's a a bullish event over the space of the next like eighteen months, two years. I don't think the day itself is, but but a lot of people feel that it is. A lot of feel, people feel that it is a bullish event. You know, the price is bad, gradually been growing. I can imagine there's a lot of people now long going into the. Um, into the halving and perhaps long would leverage so i can see there's an incentive for somebody to go okay great well let's let's market sell a huge amount of bitcoin and let's bring the price down and then wipe out a, a number of and you see the whale calls come into twitter all of a sudden all these leveraged positions suddenly getting stopped out so i can see there's an incentive for someone to do this i just don't know who it is yeah yeah <laughs> i mean I have walked into the headquarters of a futures exchange and talked to the founder. I'm like going, who do you think this this player is? There's there's some players here that are pushing this price around. And he's like, we want to know too. <laughs> but like, no one's going to talk about it. Um, right. All I know is there's a lot of dirty stuff going on in the markets. Um, whether it's a third party um, whale that's wanting to move the price around for maximum strategic gain, which is kind of fair. It's a fair way of making money. Um, or if it's the exchanges, if it's the exchanges, that's a very, very dirty way. Um, yet we do not, well, I've yet to see anyone break a story of really, you know, the exchanges trading against us. But I know that I, I know that a very significant amount of advanced traders do believe that the exchanges are trading against us. But unregulated, offshore, how can you prove it? How can you check it? That's right. Next up, I talk to Willie more about trading. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, let's talk about the mighty Kraken. They put the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. And I've definitely seen a growing interest in Bitcoin recently. My beginner's guy shows are doing really well. And I have had a few friends get in touch saying to me, Peter, is now a good time to invest in Bitcoin. So if you are interested, if you are new to Bitcoin, there is no better place to buy than with Kraken. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start accumulating Bitcoin. They also have a beautiful mobile first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. With their world-class security, they are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange on the market. And with their 24-7, 365 customer support, they will help you out with any issues, whoever you are and wherever you are. There is no better place to buy Bitcoin. Find out more at Kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Next up, we have the future of Bitcoin and financial services. We have BlockFi. 
and they've just announced the launch of their mobile app. Have you checked it out yet? I've got it on my phone. It's pretty amazing. They've packed so much into it. They have a very quick and easy way to sign up. You can open a BlockFi interest account and earn money on your Bitcoin. Using Bitcoin as collateral, you can also take out a USD loan. The app also enables funds to be transferred directly from a crypto wallet into a BlockFi account. They've got market expertise, sophisticated security, and so much more is coming soon. So you definitely want to check out the BlockFi app. I always say with BlockFi, do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com, or search the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for BlockFi, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I. Well, listen, look, uh, as I said, I don't cover trading a lot because I don't trade myself and I do recommend new people coming in. Just just don't trade. <laughs> I recommend just just have a buying strategy and a holding strategy and, and, and go simple. Well, you know, before we move on to that, I would say like when I get asked by friends, like, shall I trade? Everyone thinks that, you know, trading is a great way to make money. I, I, I have this thing I say is that like what you want to do is put a tiny amount of money in and then your goal is to learn the maximum amount of lessons for the amount of money you lose because right. you will lose it. Uh, because like in most markets, 90% of traders lose, 10% win. In the Bitcoin market, 99% of traders lose, 1% win. Um, and the reason why you want to learn these lessons is the entire world works on markets. And so whether you're like going to buy your next house be able to read a chart of where the housing market is, whether you're going on overseas holiday and want to know when the best time is to buy the Forex into the new place you're going to spend your money. Um, those are useful skills. So learn those lessons. Don't think of trading as anything more than a way to lose money. Think of it as a way to learn a lesson on how the world works. Um, well, that's fair. And, the, and you know. But yeah. I was, um, I, do, I don't know if you haven't, you know, you follow my show at all, but I did this beginner's guide, 17 episodes covering everything to do with Bitcoin that you could possibly learn, although I didn't put trading in there. And I've just t turned it into a one hour episode. I've been through the like 20 hours of content. It's like, what are all the best bits I can get this into one hour for somebody? But the thing I said about trading in there is I was like, look, most people lose money. Uh, and if you aren't, and like I said, even seasoned traders who've got experience of multiple different markets, they lose money. What, like, what is so special about you that you think you can come in and s suddenly outsmart the market? And I've heard this ninety to ten rule. I didn't realize like what you like ninety nine percent of people are losing. Yeah, that that was a publicly stated uh, number by Arthur Hayes on Bitmix. Ninety nine percent of participants lose. So what? what so do you think there's a like a churn or do you just think there's like DJ gamblers coming back over and over again? I think that throwing themselves to the sharks. I think it's just exactly what I've been talking about is in this in an unregulated environment and in the very immature, thinly traded asset like Bitcoin, that it takes just a few guys with all the ammo in the world just to move it anywhere they want to take out the most traders. So it's a lethal combination. <laughs> like, like in the regulated markets, you've got like highways, right? You've got highways and cars traveling here and there. In the Bitcoin market, you've got like a big, huge, you know, 20 ton truck and tiny little minis driving around. <laughs> and that truck's going to take everyone out. Um, it's outsized. It's very outsized. Um, what do you think would be more important, re like regulation or more liquidity? 
Yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I would, I, I, I actually think that we need regulation in the space. Um, I think that we, that's more important. We've got liquidity for Africa in in Bitcoin um, in terms of the the futures exchange uh, exchanges. Yeah. Okay. It's a. Uh, what, what do you mean liquidity in terms of the spot markets? Like we we some those spot markets are being traded. I think what's needed is that the spot markets have a higher pr proportion of the liquidity versus the liquidity exhibited on the futures exchanges. The investors are exhibiting more volume than the DGN traders who are making bets around it. Right now, it's all DGN traders, all of liquidity is there, and so. You know, it's like kind of like I'm going to make a $1 bet here and with 10 cents, I'm going to push this little pipsqueak thing that's happening on Kraken around so I win that bet on the other side. Um, so, yeah, bring balance to the force, you know, <laughs> bring balance to the, the spot exchanges. Yeah, because that's what I'm thinking. Because you're saying like you, if with $50 million, I think is what you said, you can move yeah. the market around, right? With a lot more liquidity and a lot more volume, you're going to need more than that. And so I would have thought more liquidity will make it safer for like the 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 little guy. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about liquidity um, in terms of you've got these two parts of the ecosystem. And um, on the futures exchanges, there is incredible amounts of liquidity. You know, I, I can, even on a second tier futures exchange, I could sell um, you know, easily $2 million of Bitcoin in a number of seconds and not have that impact the price more than a few cents. And then if I did that on Kraken, man, would that price move? You would not, you would notice that happening on a spot exchange. And so like there you can get this situation where you, you can start to move the spot exchanges around to um kind of like make sure guarantee your bet is going in the right way and so if the spot exchanges had the a much larger um liquidity base when i start to buy my two million dollars of bitcoin on kraken for example it doesn't move much then that that creates a much more stable market and it's less prone by these futures traders to start to manipulate the the market essentially if you're a trader if you're a very large trader your goal is to manipulate the, manipulate the market you take risks in doing it someone could take the other side of the bet but um at this size of the game you want to flex your muscle at the right time to guarantee your bet as much as possible and hope that there's not, not another big gangster coming in to push you the other way um so yeah, like the regulations, if that came in, that would start to bring balance into this this market. The the futures would no way allow hundred and hundred x or even more um, leverage. That's just degenerate, um, which which leads to this imbalance. And then for sure, we, they would be audited so tight that we know for for a start that um, there's nothing hanky panky going on behind the scenes. Right, okay. Well, let's do some of this trading one-on-one stuff. So someone new coming in, they're like, all right, I get this Bitcoin stuff. I've bought a little, but I want to be a little bit greedy. I want to go out and trade. I think I can trade and make a bit more. So I just want to cover like some of the basics. But really, like, who is there anyone out there that shouldn't be trading? Anyone you think you really should just stay away from this? 
Oh, I think that's probably the majority of us, to be honest. <laughs> um, I don't think many of us should be trading. I don't, I don't know if these, it adds much value to Bitcoin. You know, like, obviously, let's, let's qualify this. When I call trading, it's like we put some collateral in and then it's a casino. We're betting against other people. And that's like the derivatives market. Bitfinex is interesting is that it's a spot exchange, but they have a margin trade and that, but that, that's, that's, that's also in the class of making bets. But then when you talk about exchanges like Coinbase, Kraken, Gemini, and so forth, these are um, a different kettle of fish. Obviously, you need these types of what we call spot exchanges to allow um, investors to sell out of the asset and new investors to come in. And um, I don't consider that trading. You're not making a, a short-term bet. Um, you're actually buying the underlying or selling the underlying. So... I think very, very few people should be trading on the, the derivatives exchanges, making bets. If you're thinking about the spot exchanges, then sure, you need it to, to get in and out of the asset class. Like I, I was listening to Ray Dalio. He did a really good um, interview with Ted in TED Talks uh, recently. And he, he, he mentioned... Um, you know, everyone thinks that they're going to make money trading. They're going to beat the markets. Um, and he was saying, I can tell you that being the markets is harder than winning a gold medal in the Olympics. And he doesn't really meet many people out there in the public that thinks that they can beat the, they get the gold medal in, in the Olympics. Yeah, everyone thinks that they'll beat the market. And so, um, yeah, I don't think many people should be trading outside of that education side of the game. Well, that's why my uh, my trading strategy is buy ten year hold. I think I can win that way. I think with a ten year hold on Bitcoin, I can win. And if more of us do that, um, Bitcoin will prosper e more easily. Um, it's this trading that's holding um, Bitcoin back. To be frank, why? Because people are just throwing money away and creating sell pressure. Yep, um, that's. The fees going to the exchanges, producing sell pressure, and that is hockey sticking. That is going up by orders of magnitude. While uh, we all celebrate this mining, you know, this mining's going to reduce the sell pressure and the price is going to go up. Um, and it's halvening and it's halvening. And meanwhile, the exchange volumes are 10xing and 10xing and, and um, taking the new, um, you know, they're taking over from the miners by producing that at exponential rate. All right. So listen, look, some people are going to ignore you anyway, Willie, and they're going to be like, yeah, but I am that 1%. So if somebody does want to go and trade, if they want to go and dive in, like how does somebody learn to trade? Like what are the places you would point them in the direction of? You can't just sign up to an exchange and start throwing money around, right? You've, you've got to at least go and learn some basics, some fundamentals. You know, like... I was self-taught in, in, in trading, and that's the very interesting thing about Bitcoin is that it allows you to um, trade very, very tiny amounts. Um, and I, I traded in Poloniex, which was, you know, quite big back Trollbox. Twenty, Yeah, <laughs> the Trollbox. 2013, 2014. 2014 was where it started to really ramp up. And so, you know, I would say, you know, like, go to Poloniex, and this is like... You just out, look down the list, and there's like all these altcoins, you know, you know, all these 
all these shit coins and like you just like there's the there's the big leagues which is bitcoin to um did we even have i think it was all trade against bitcoin so big league was ethereum to bitcoin that was very high stakes because there was a lot of volume you know the big traders have a lot of money they're going to play on the high stakes table and you just go keep going down that list and you pick the table that is low stakes where the beginners at <laughs> and then you can learn to gamble because that's essentially what you're doing and like poker you there's skill involved and there's nothing like um the experience of of um reading what the players like when you start to watch that the order books and the charts you start to read what people are trying to do trying to scare you into one position and and so forth so there's that um that side of um, very organic learning. It's a visceral sort of experience. And that's how I started. But then there's also the technical aspect of figuring out based on drawing lines in a chart, you know, whether things are going to break out or not. And um, there's a lot of good um, YouTube videos. I would probably go into YouTube and look at some channels. Like, you know, Tone Vase does, does a very popular channel. He uses a particular system. But there's many, you know, and there's a lot of... Uh, uh, online courses and groups that you can join to learn about trading and that's what i'd say there's there's a few groups out there that you can you can join i won't name any of them but like you have that community factor where you learn together um i never learned that way but i can see the value in that right okay so so there's two sides there's learning the technical and then there's a kind of out there getting the feel like if you're a footballer you got to kick a footballer around to get a feel for the football and yeah, same you as can. you got to go out there and make a few bets and just get the feel for how the market moves. And yeah, I get that. What about rookie mistakes? What are the stupid things that rookies do that they need to avoid doing? Oh gosh, where do you start? Like, um, I mean, the very basic one is risk management. You want to make sure that you want to make sure that um, you have a plan if you're wrong. So generally, the most important thing is. Um, making sure that if, if the trade goes against you, you stop, you stop out. Um, so you limit and contain your losses. But even more basic to that is that um, I think the very basic human nature is that if I'm down, if I say you're down, most people will want to increase the trade because they want to make their um, their money back. And that's actually the time you want to reduce your trade because you're you made a wrong decision and you want to cool off because you're getting more emotional. Um, so there's a big emotional part of trading. That's the bit that most people get really screwed on is that they get too emotional. All the good traders are very, very um, zen or um, immune, unemotional. Um, it's almost a practice. So um, that that's a big mistake, um, getting emotional. We have that in poker, Willie. Like, I don't know if you play poker, but like we say, if you're going on tilt, it's chasing your losses. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's quite an emotional thing in poker, especially because one of the things about poker, I guess there's some similar things in trading, right? Like in poker, it is part skill, part luck, right? Mm -hmm. The skillful player over a long enough games will will come out on top because they're playing a little bit of math. 
And I guess trading's the same. I guess trading is part skill, part luck, right? You can read the market, you can make sensible trades, but at the same time, the market can turn at you. For example, specific news that you might not expect comes out. Maybe maybe Bitcoin gets banned in a country or something, and that affects the market. So I guess that there's there's a bit of that as well. But we uh, we have people in poker who go on tilt who have a bad loss and they start chasing and start making stupid decisions before when they would like i don't know they might only play like a six seven uh, suited they might play a six seven off suit and then chase like a low pair and uh, and start losing more money i guess i guess that's a very similar scenario yeah it's very similar like uh I, it's very interesting to see that majority of bitcoin traders are big poker fans you know like whenever we do these tone vase conferences He's always throwing in a poker game. It just always surprises me. Um, it's a trading. It's you know, it's in Bitcoin meets traders, but it always surprises me how many of them are poker players. Same skill set, you know. All right, man. Are there any kind of like um, things specific that you like to look at, like indicators or things? I know you you like your on-chain fundamentals. Talk about some of the stuff you like in terms of trading. Yeah. Okay. So, um, having talked all about um, trading. I almost feel like a pretender here because I am not an expert trader. I'm, I'm a profitable trader, but I only trade to test some of the um, signals that I I work on, right? And so my field is really this, what we call fundamental analysis, is what's really going on in the market over the the long term, what we call the macro cycle. And so... With, with Bitcoin, it's a very um, new kind of animal that we've seen that like, you know, if you're uh, investing in say Amazon stock or Google stock, Apple stock, it's not like you get to see how the management is running um, or any event inside the company because that's behind closed doors. But in, in the blockchain world, you can see everything happening. I can see when buyers are coming in and holding their asset, um, moving them between wallets. I can see when old holders who have had their coins in their wallets for six or seven years come out of the woodwork and start to sell that onto market. And that gives you, you know, very detailed ideas of or signals of what um, what's happening in, in, in the whole network. You know, obviously, you know, for example, if, if, um, if we say the market is buying right now, what do you actually mean? Because if someone's buying, who's selling? There's always a seller. What we actually mean is who is the smarter person that's buying? And so, you know, if you're looking in a wallet and suddenly, what's this? There's like all these Bitcoins coming out of these old wallets on mass now. And they've been in the wallets for like four years or more. These are people that held their coins from the last sort of, cycle of bull bear and they're experienced and they're starting to sell and you can go well they're most likely more smart than the new guys buying so you can start to look at these these behaviors inside the blockchain by peering into it and kind of reading um, where we are and it turns out that these these bull bear cycles that we have in all markets in Bitcoin, you can actually see the underlying activity on the blockchain repeat itself, 
Like as as the market starts to get hyper and the lemmings are coming in to buy at that that mania phase of the market, you can see these old whales that have held their coins for four years or more start to sell and they're starting to move. And um, you go, oh, okay, that's a signal that um, we're starting to reach a top. And so, yeah, this is this new field called on-chain analysis um, that really started when I started posting some of this research back in, I think, late 2016. And now it's become a very um, large field with specialist companies like Coinmetrics providing that data to hedge funds and, and, um, and so forth. All right, awesome, man. All right, cool. Well, listen, I think this is going to be a, a little introduction. I do hope most people actually don't go and trade. <laughs> it's still going to be my advice to people. It's like, just don't go and trade. All right, Willie, listen, appreciate you coming on. It's, uh, it's about time we finally did it. It was cool to hang out with you in Vegas as well and finally meet you. Uh, and good to do a bit of tr trading introduction. I'm still going to recommend to most people, like, don't do it. <laughs> Look at the numbers. Just uh, be sensible. But yeah, I I feel like starting a movement against trading right now. I've only just realized how damaging it is. Um, it, you know, put numbers. But we need it. it we, surely we, we need a little bit of trading because mm -hmm. we need like price. We need price discovery. Yeah, that happens on Kraken, not on BitMEX. Right. So you want to be. BitMEX is responsible for the zigzags and the volatility. Volatility kills new people coming in, scares them away. People get wrecked. They, they, they get turned away. You have the sell pressure from the exchanges. If we killed BitMEX, the price would be a lot higher right now. Right. Okay. So you're like, um, you, you don't want to kill trading, you want to kill degen trading. Yeah, I will. I, I don't want to kill um, the act of buyers coming in, buying and selling the underlying asset. And then you get the traders around Kraken that actually add um, liquidity. You need people to take the other side of the trade of the underlying. But when you get to derivatives trading, pff, shitty. Like we're just making bets, and then all of the activity just get dumped. You know, all the fees get dumped onto the market. And you know, I'm a believer that. We need to get to one trillion and then ten trillion, right? Um, otherwise, Bitcoin doesn't make a dent in the world, and BitMEX, etc., is just slowing that down. Well, I'm with you on that, brother. I wanted to one trillion, then I wanted to ten trillion. Hopefully, it'll happen. Yeah. But listen, I appreciate yeah. you coming on, man. Listen, if people want to follow you, especially if they want to go and read some of your medium posts, where can they find you? Okay, so I'm on uh, Twitter as Woonomic, and if you want to read some of my blog articles, not very active these days, uh, but you can um, find me on woobull.com. Obviously, I'm bullish on Bitcoin. So um, go to that site, and I also have a lot of charts, um, charts.woobull.com linked from that site, which uh, a lot of on-chain research I do um, looking at the macro cycle. All right, nice one, man. Well, listen, appreciate this. Stay safe and healthy out there. Maybe I will see you back in Vegas next year, or maybe we'll never travel again. Who knows, man? But stay safe, yeah? <laughs> I hope not, but yeah. Okay. Look forward to having drinks with you next time. All right, brother. Take care. <laughs> Bye. See ya. Okay, what did you think of that? Are you a trader? Are you ruining your chance of getting a Lambo? Are you a D-Gen? Are you doing 100x? Okay, seriously, let's get into the subject. Now, I am not a trader. I don't do it anymore. I did. That's how I started out. I thought I was a genius. Really, I just hit a bull market. And then when it came crashing back, I had no idea what I was doing and lost most of my gains. So 
I kind of recommend that people avoid trading unless they really know what they're doing because I don't want to see people get wrecked. I think there are better ways to accumulate Bitcoin. Now, Willie said that 99% of traders in Bitcoin lose. And I mean, I don't know if that's true. I could believe it. But if that is the case, there's a lot of people throwing Bitcoin away. Not something I like to see. Now, I think it's very interesting that Bitcoin exchanges are becoming the biggest sell pressure, but I'm not sure if this is something that we need to be concerned about or it's something that is proportional to trading. And I'm not really sure fully on the implications of this. It was definitely interesting to talk to Willie about it, but I imagine there's somebody on the other side who has some counterpoints. So if you do, do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, I hope you have a great week. Loads and loads going on here. I've got a few documentaries I'm working on. Can't wait to get them out. Anyway, take care. And like I said, if you want to reach out to me, it's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 